there are four things that you need to be aware of. First, come every week. If you can't come, like Pastor Nathan said, uh, listen online. Go back and listen if this is your first week. Uh, uh, go back and listen. In fact, you can go back to last year at this time. We had part one of Revelation, and it covered the seven churches in that Asia Minor area. The second thing is there's some major imagery that is going to sound confusing. Don't let it confuse you. Don't let it worry you. We'll unpack that stuff. Don't get too wrapped up in the strangeness. Let's see what it actually has to say. There's kind of different layers that we'll pull back and say, what is God trying to say to us in these layers? Does that make sense? The third thing is drop your preconceived ideas about what things in Revelation might mean. There's been more than any other book bad teaching on this book in particular. Uh, whole denominations have sprung up from literally one and two little verses. And we want to make sure that we measure everything by the rest of the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit speak. And that's kind of the last thing, too, is don't let this book divide us. Because here's the, here's the truth. We know what we know, and there's a lot we don't know, right? There's a lot we don't know, and so there are things in this book that we don't know definitively what they mean. And so it's what I call open-handed and closed-handed issues, or essential versus non-essential issues. So non-essential or open-handed are things where uh, on a particular issue, good men and women, theologians may come down two different ways. It doesn't mean that they're not saved. It, it just means they are on two different ways of looking at that thing. Then there are uh, closed-handed issues or what we call essential issues. For instance, Jesus Christ as Lord. On non-essential, we'll be talking about those too, but think of those things like the return of Christ. We just don't know when that thing will be. In fact, I read this thing this last week. It says, why didn't God tell us when Jesus would return? And the answer, I believe, simply because we would start to worship that date and we would orient our lives around that date and we would live for that date instead of living for Jesus. So don't let these issues divide us as we go forward. Oh, we left the Apostle John in a uh, theophany. Uh, he was the young disciple when Jesus called him. We think he may have been as young, check this out, 14 years old. And so when Jesus is crucified, he's still probably a teenager. But now when the book of Revelation is revealed to him when he writes us down. He's in his 90s. And he's living on the Isle of Patmos. Now Patmos is this rocky uh, isle in the Aegean Sea. And it is a penal colony. It's just prisoners on this island. And not many of those. In fact, he's living in the shallow cave. He has to fish for himself to eat. And he has a little bit of writing utensils and parchment paper. He takes those and he writes this down. Now, Theophany is this picture where he is writing down what he is seeing. It's when God, the Theophany is when God reveals himself visually to one of the senses, ear, smell, taste, sound, feel, all of those things. And this one is the biggest one of all. You see him through the Old Testament as well. But this one is huge. In the center, let me just remind you, he's brought into this presence of the throne room of God. Now this is just one of those open-handed issues. I don't know, but my view is I think he has seen it from above where he's looking down and it'll become a little bit more clear today but dominating the scene is one massive throne he describes as lightning and thunder coming out from it and he who sat on it he gives it this picture of colors and he says in fact there is this this rainbow that goes all the way around him but it's emerald green Cool stuff about the rainbow. Got to listen to last week, though. 
He's sitting there in the middle. God is on His throne. And then around His throne, there are 24 smaller thrones, and these are redeemed. They're like you and me. They have lived on earth, and they're now with God in heaven. We don't know who they are. We've speculated they may be some of the Old Testament, New Testament characters. We just doesn't, we don't know. We, the Bible doesn't say. But their job is to worship God. The only things we know about them, they speak here today, but they also have white robes and they have a golden crown. That's how we know that they are, in fact, human, not angels. It's because that's the way you and I will be dressed, at least in the presence of God. Then there are four, there are four uh, special beings. They're actually angels, but they look very different. It says they have the appearance of the li- a lion. One has the appearance of the ox. Another one has appearance of a man. Another one has uh, the appearance of an eagle in flight. And their job is their job is to worship God. Now these are not. Create, I mean, they are created beings, but they're not mankind. They are, in fact, angels. And a specific kind of angels. You've heard of cherubs? These are seraphim. Or cherubim, these are seraphim. Their only role is to worship God and, like you and I, to carry out His words. So you've got this picture. And then right in front, the last thing to remind you, is there are seven torches of flame. It says these are in front of the throne room of God or in front of the throne of God and they are burning and this represents the Holy Spirit, the seven spirits of God. You're going to see this play out today a little bit. But then, then they're all standing on what is called a sea of glass. It's not a liquid thing. It is shimmering though and it is translucent. It catches the light. You got this picture? And the four angels, these four creatures, we left you with, they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Then the 24 elders fall down. They cast their crowns at the feet of God. And they sing, Worthy are you, Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Let's pray and seek God. God, as we come into even this picture of your throne room, I'm just humbled to see all that you are doing here. God, my prayer is that you would reveal to us what you want us to know so that we can be ready for the return of your son. God, there's just big things for our little minds. And my prayer is that you would unlock some deep truths. God, there are people in this room and listening online that are all over the place on what they believe about the book of Revelation. Some are too scared to read it. Some have some pretty formed opinions. God, we just lay all that luggage, that baggage down at your feet. And we say, would you teach us from your holy word the truth? It's in Jesus' precious name we all said, amen. Well, look with me in verse 1 of chapter 5. I always want you to bring your Bible. You can write down on your notes too there. The scene takes on something new and completely different. This verse ties chapter 4 and chapter 5 together. They're really one scene here. So it's everything's the same. John's looking on. All the players are there. Check this out. John says, Then I saw the right in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written and on the back, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Now there's tons of hidden things going on here, uh, but we may not know all of them until we're there on the other side. There's some deep, rich illustrations here. God is seated on the throne. Now what's cool is 
He, last week, he said these are the colors of God in the rainbow, but he doesn't describe the features. Notice here, he doesn't even say his name. Why? Because I think he is so holy in this moment, he sees the holiness, I think he's scared to. John could see this in his right hand, what? A scroll and a couple of things. We see in it, the scroll is written within and on the back. How do you know if it's written within and on the back? I don't know about the within. Baby makes the assumption. But when you would write on ancient scrolls, you'd write the inside first, and then you would write the outside. But it took a very special scroll. Usually those were out of animal skins or out of hammered papyrus. We don't know. doesn't matter. But what's interesting is the imagery here of written on the back as well means that it is complete. Not another word needs to be added. In other words, this scroll is ready to be read. And the significant thing about this scroll, what we see here, is on the back it is sealed, or on the outside is sealed, with seven seals. Now you're going to see a lot of imagery, but you always want to pay attention to numbers. What do we know about the number seven? It's the number of God. But it's also the number of completeness. It means you can't add any more to it. It's perfect. All-powerful, in other words. So look, there are seven seals. In the ancient world, what used to happen is they would write things down and they would seal something with a little uh, ring that would go around the outside of the document, usually made of clay, and that it would be kind of embossed with the king's signet while the, the clay was wet. But then on top of that, they would pour a copious amount of wax and it would be sealed then with the king's seal. Now what's different here, seven seals. In other words, it has been written by God. This is God's will. Now why is it important that, uh, about this? Because this is big. Now why do we say seven is big? Think of it, seven comes up over and over in the story of the Bible. From the first to the last, seven is a big number, right? I mean, you think seven days to create the earth. God does that. Um, when God tells the Israelites to march around the city of Jericho, what does He say? March around seven days, and then on the last day, march around seven times. Jesus has seven statements from the cross. Know this, seven in the book of Revelation signifies completion of a divine mandate. And the last thing Jesus said from the cross, you remember two things, the sixth and seven, it is finished and into, my, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, got the picture? God is holding this scroll. Check it out, what he says. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Now you'll notice, not many things in Revelation or in heaven are quiet. They're almost all loud. Almost all of the worship is ear-splitting loud. We know that, uh, that this is loud because it says it, but look, the mighty angel, who is this? We don't know. Now, some people have speculated. They've said, oh, uh, this is Gabriel, the mighty angel, because of what he's going to say. He's the one that announces the birth of Jesus. You remember that? He's the one, and so this could be Gabriel, but what do we know? We know he's mighty. I'm assuming that means looks big, looks scary. He says, who is worthy to open this? Now, two questions come to mind. What's the scroll? Isn't that like one? Like, what is this thing? And then the second, kind of like it, is why didn't just God open himself? Like, he's holding it. Why, why didn't God's all-powerful? Well, God's written it. It's sealed with his signet ring, Right? The scroll, write this down, the scroll is the deed to the earth. 
Now, I'm way oversimplifying it, but at the end of the day, that's what we will find out what it is. It's the deed, it's the ownership of the earth. Now, what it says is crazy, and we're going to spend the next few weeks unpacking what that means in the scroll, all the different things. But here's what I want you to understand with it. When you open or break one seal, you get to read one part. And then to read the second, you have to break the second seal. Does that make sense? You don't break all seven and then read the whole thing. You break one seal and then read it. Why doesn't God open it himself? I don't know. I don't know, but I think you'll see why here in just a second, at least partially. Um, but get the picture. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break the seals. Here's what I want you to feel, because it's going to be here. There is tension in the throne room of God. There is worry in the throne room of God. doesn't say God is, but everyone else, every created being is there. Look at this, verse 3. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Now this first part, some guys have gone, well see, it's three different things, in heaven or earth or under the... Don't worry about that. What it's saying is that in the entire created universe, no one is worthy. Uh, they've made a search and no one can open this. In other words, if it's the deed of the earth, it's saying no one can take the deed of the earth or take possession of it. Now remember, I warned you, that some guys can get off in the weeds. So you got to make sure and study this carefully here. Understand something. If this scroll is in fact the deed to the earth, and I believe it is, this is significant. Do you know why? Do you remember last week when we briefly jumped ahead to chapter 12 and we talked about the fall of Satan to the earth from heaven? You remember it was the, the literal good versus evil first battle. Satan is a created being, literally an angel that was in charge of worship, we believe, although that's not super clear. But we know that he was a leader because he was able to convince a third of the angels to follow him. That wasn't really a, a fair battle because God is is sovereign and all-powerful. Satan is created. He's finite, right? So Satan he got thrown down. It was boom, like that. He got thrown down to the earth with his angels. What do we call those angels now? Demons. Demons. I want you to see something here. Why did Satan try to overthrow God? He wanted to be worshipped like God. The scripture that we read last week, you remember? He wanted his throne above the throne of God. So he was thrown down. And since that time, Satan has ruled the earth. It is in enemy hands. The earth, we live in a real battle zone. Notice, I'm not saying a virtual battle zone. I'm saying a real battle zone that's going on. You get the tension that's starting to come up here? Because what's happening is when I get the question, hey, Paul, why do so many bad things happen? And I'm like, are you kidding me? We live in a battle zone. A literal war between good and evil that's going, you go, well, why didn't God take it back? And I'm going, He is. He is. But this is the tension. This is the ownership, the deed to the earth. Now, we'll get onto this later in the series. But notice God... It's going to mess some of you up. God is allowing him to rule. God's all-powerful. He could just stop and just wipe the earth off, right? Satan is a created being with limited power. But the question remains, why is everyone so upset about the scroll? This deed to the earth. Look at verse 4. And I began to weep loudly. This is John I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll 
or to look in it. This is that kind of, uh, you can't control it, that you're just like, the kind of terror, the sadness that you just have to cry. And it's not just like weeping and a tear falling. Every, what, this is like, ah, I can't believe this is terror. This is the revelation of God. This is the future written down. and No one can open it. No one is powerful enough to vanquish the evil and unrighteous in the world and establish God's kingdom. But then look what happens next. And this is beautiful. Check it out. Verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, so this is another created being, a human in their new body, white robe, crown, right? One of them says to, to John, weep no more. Behold, the lamb of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. This is good news. This is good news. Look at the two, uh, two names that this guy gives uh, this one. Tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. We know that the promised one in the Old Testament comes out of the tribe of Judah. The name, one of the ancient names given to the Messiah, the promised one, was the Lion of Judah. He's saying the Lion of Judah. Behold, you see him? The other one is the Root of David. In other words, this is the person that would descend from the great Hebrew king, King David. And this is what I love. Look at it. It says, has conquered. That's not a future thing. That is a past thing. This is going to play over and over in our coming weeks. Has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Do you have this picture? Who is it? Look, the mighty, uh, the, uh, the imagery is steep here. Uh, don't get lost. Stay with me. Setting the scene. It's the third title that is about to mess our picture up. So let go of your baggage here. Look at this. The first half of verse 6. Here it is. And between the throne, the big one, and the four living creatures, and among the elders. So get this. It's the throne, but between them and the, the four living creatures, close to where the, the seven flames are that represent the Holy Spirit, it says, look, among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. A lamb. But look, as though it had been slain. This is just different. This lamb of God, the third title. This is powerful imagery. The lamb is standing before the throne of God. We didn't see him till now. He makes this entrance, this call of to is anyone worthy to open the seals and he steps forward to take back the earth from evil he steps forward he's a lamb and it says and yet as as, as though it had been slain look at how that lamb is described as though it had been slain it had the scars of being slain and yet it was alive a lamb was sacrificed when it was sacrificed it was cut from ear to ear all the major arteries and bled out. What it's saying is he's standing, he's clearly not dead, but he has been dead because his throat has been cut and yet these scars are there. I want you to get this. This blows my mind. This is the complete picture of the Trinity. You've got God on the throne, the Spirit of God, the person of the Holy Spirit, and then the Lamb all right together. It just blows my mind. The Trinity is complete here. Jesus is there. Jesus is this Lamb. The imagery is crazy for our little mind. Don't let it ruin it for you. But it's all. But it all means stuff. Look at the second half of uh, six. It's describing the Lamb with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the spirits of the God, uh, spirits of God sent out to all the earth. Now here's what I want you to see. Seven means what? Complete. It's done. Horns mean power. 
You can write that down. Horns mean power. So what is it saying? Complete power. Who else has complete power? God does. It's because Jesus is God. And with seven eyes. Seven means what? Complete. Eyes mean what? It means you can see. With seven eyes, it means He can see completely. Does that make sense? He sees everywhere. That's another mark of God. He's everywhere. He can see all. He can see into the hearts of mankind. Here's what you need to know, right? These seven horns and seven eyes show Him as fully God Himself, yet portrayed as this little lamb. Now, why a lamb? Because the lamb is the picture of peace. Not weakness, though. Not weakness. Don't think of Him as weak, but as peaceful and gentle, meek. And it is the animal that was slaughtered for the Passover meal. Just an interesting thing. I know I've pointed this out before, but when the Israelites were being delivered from bondage in Egypt. You remember how God promises said to Pharaoh, unless you let them go, I'm going to send an angel of death that will come in the night and will kill all the firstborn. But He tells the Israelites, He says, but you take a lamb unblemished, and you slaughter that lamb, and you roast it. By the way, have your traveling clothes on and eat standing up. He says, and then you take the blood of the lamb, and then you uh, smear it with some hyssop on the doorpost. When the angel comes to your house, I will see that the blood, hear me, the blood of the lamb is on your house. You got that picture? Something that you may not have known? is for four days before they slaughtered that lamb, they had to bring it into the house. It slept with the children, became a pet, a family member there, and then all the family was there. Now here's the juxtaposition. Uh, You don't think of a lamb as powerful, and yet he's all-powerful. He's slain, but he's alive. He's dead, but he's been brought back to life. Scars and all. Now just something I like us to remember, every once in a while, sometimes we forget there are man-made things in heaven. You go like what? Scars of Jesus. Holes in His hands, in His feet, in His side, crown. Those are man-made. Our sin is what took Him there. And yet, the Lamb proudly wears those scars. And we'll be looking at this more in just a moment. But it's in fact, those scars, check this out, those scars that give Him the authority to open the scroll. You with me? Look at verse 7. And He went and took the scroll from the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne. Who is that? God. God the Father. Verse 8, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, I want you to see this. Lots of imagery. Every time something happens, these guys go wild. They start worshiping. But look at this. And and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, those angels, they recognized the momentous occasion and they worshiped God. They fell down now, not just before God, but who? The Lamb. The Lamb. Each holding, they're now two things that they're holding. They're holding a a harp, not the big ones that you put on the floor, but kind of a, a, a handheld size harp. You'll see this and you'll hear this, music plays a big part, but then I want you to also see they're holding golden bowls full of incense, and what is the incense? The prayers of the saints. Now if you grew up with a Catholic background, this may mess you up, but who are the saints? The believers in Jesus. We are. You and you. We're the saints. And you're going, I'm not a saint. And you're not a saint because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. His his righteousness as the Son of God has been put into your account. Baby, 
You're a, a saint, right? And what it's saying is the incense, those prayers and those golden bowls that they have, they have right there, those are incense. I, I want to blow your mind. This, this is your prayer. Our prayers together are in this. You, my brothers and sisters, your prayers are in these bowls. Do you understand what I'm saying? This should blow your, your mind, right? I almost, uh, you know, I, I just I almost can't fathom it. This is huge to understand. Don't let it go to your head, though. It's because of Jesus, right? And the question is, like all of our prayers, are all of our prayers in there? We don't know. We just know it's the prayers of the saints. But picture this. Uh, they're worshiping. They fall down singing a new song that had not been heard in heaven before. Look at verse 9. And they sang, say it with me, a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Now notice, this last line is not saying everyone will be saved that's on earth. It's just saying the universal part, God's message, His redeeming message is not just for Jews. It's not just for Anglo people that live in Loveland, Colorado. It is every tribe and language and people and nation. Praise God. What knits us together is the Lamb. This new song is so significant. I wish I could show it to you what, how significant it is. The song reveals, I want you to see, that He is worthy. If you think of like momentous points in history, like from the first in Genesis all the way to the end, Chapter 22 of Revelation. This is the high point of created time. It is the Mount Everest of spiritual happenings. Does that make sense? Listen, God, God gave His Son to die for us. This is the spiritual picture he has the right because god raised him up he has the right to take ownership of the earth they get done singing the song and look what john sees verse 11 i mentioned it last week though i thought that uh he is seeing this from above this is why look at verse oh let me hit this and you have made them kingdom and priest to our god and they shall reign on the earth look at verse 11 then I looked and I heard around the throne the four living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels. i got to tell you, that's an accurate statement, but we would say it's an understatement. Numbering how many angels? Myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. means he can't count them. This is why I think it's uh, from above because we think that this number, and this is going to blow your mind, it's hard to grab onto. Um, this is in the hundreds of millions of angels. Does that make sense? And they're all singing. He sees this. Even just to see it, if you were down low, you couldn't see it, right? You'd, you'd have to be up on something to look down. The sea of glass now is covered with all these angels worshiping, and it spreads like wildfire. You remember the Risk Canyon fire? I, I remember that uh, when it was up here, we could see it went miles up in. The smoke went up and we saw. I remember talking to firefighters that saw it firsthand. He said it was unlike anything he had seen before because of all the beetle kill trees uh, uh, there. And he said, usually, you know, uh, that wildfire kind of goes uh, down on the ground, catches the next tree, and it kind of goes down. He said, this was different. 
He said every 20 to 30 seconds, the, the fire spread from tree to tree. And he said they were just exploding. He was going across like that. This is the picture I want you to see. The elders, the four living creatures, they fall down and then millions, hundreds of millions of angels start to sing and this, this thing just explodes with worship. Do you get that picture? Look at verse 12. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You'll notice something here in this scene and in the Old Testament scenes like this. The worship of God in heavenly throne room uh, like this um, is like this on earth and even through the Psalms we see it. Worship is loud. It's very rarely soft. It's loud. It's big. It's extravagant. By the way, it's why one of our core values here is extravagant worship. Why? Because it is in heaven. We want to be like them. They make it big. They work hard. We Christians get the wrong idea in our head that worship is about us sometimes. I mean that the, the main purpose of worship is somehow to fill us up so that, so that we can face another day. Like God gives us worship like goes God goes, hey, you want a little taste of worship? Here it is. And you go, thanks God. It's like some super drink. and Certainly it might have that effect on us. But like most things that are untrue, this has an element of truth in it, but it is in fact a lie. We are filled up by worship. That's the truth. But our sinful nature, hear me, even in Christian, our Christians, our sinful nature starts to corrupt worship and we start to make worship about us. About what I like. What, what makes me feel this way? You see what I mean? We start to make worship like somehow God goes, oh yeah, it's about you. It's about you. It's, it's about how does it make me feel that's wrong? How do we get out of that? Listen to me. Worship is not about us. It's not about you. We get to praise and worship the King of Kings and be led by the Holy Spirit of God working in us. He helps us worship, right? This might help us think about praise and worship like this. You ever wonder what the difference between praise and worship is? Write this stuff down. Praise is the joyful telling of all God what He's done. Telling about all that God has done. It's very close to thanksgiving. We offer back thanks and appreciation for what He has done in us. That's praise. You get the idea of praise? It can be applied to a friend. It's like when Jeff and John and some others help me move. Praise them. You see what I mean? That's okay to go, man, it's just telling other people, those dudes are good dudes. They help me move. That's awesome. I praise them. It's just retelling something good about them. Praise does not require anything of us. Oh, hear me. It is merely the truthful acknowledgement of the righteous acts of another you tracking since God has done many wonderful deeds he is worthy of our praise can somebody say amen Psalm 18 verse 3 says this I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies but worship is different isn't it Worship is different. If you can praise anyone you want, hear me, worship is God's and God's alone. It shall not be given to another. I want you to see this. You can give praise to God, and you should. You can give praise to others, but you cannot worship anyone else. Jesus said, and Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall Worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. Do you remember this picture? 
We looked at it last week. Satan had taken him to the top of the highest mountain. It says an exceedingly high mountain. And he says, Satan says to Jesus as he tempts him, he says, look at the earth, all the kingdoms of the earth. <clears throat> he said, essentially, I have the deed. I have the right, and by the way, I think he did have the right, to give you all of these. If you bow down and worship me, do you understand the temptation Jesus faced? Here he is, Satan, saying, all you got to do is worship me right now. You can miss the crucifixion. You can miss the heartache. You can miss all of that stuff. All you've got to do is bow down and worship me. But Jesus said, worship the Lord your God and him Praise is easy. Worship is not. To worship God requires us to let go of our own self-love, self-worship. We must humble ourselves before God. Surrender every part of our lives to His control, not just what He has done. Praise Him for that. Worship, hear me, is an attitude of the heart. A, a way to live your life literally every day in an attitude of worship. Worship costs me something. Giving up myself. It culminates, it culminates in singing, right? And sure, you can worship and should worship on your own. There have been times in my life where I felt the Holy Spirit move in such a way, and I'm not making this up, when I'm driving, I had to pull over because it was so real. And I had to worship God. I remember, I remember worshiping at, at, at prison one day, uh, and it was so real, ministering to my brothers uh, in prison there, and it was hot. It was like 110 degrees. and It was, it was just so... It was just so, it was hot. And I was playing my guitar and the worship became so thick. And I'm not, I'm not trying to like make something up here. I had to get down on the ground, take my guitar off. We all had to lay face down. Just because it was so real. I, listen, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. I just want you to know as your brother and sister, as my brother and sister, there are some in this place <clears throat> that have never worshipped God. But I think as we get closer to the day when Jesus returns to take us home, um, we're going to see true worship start. It's going to be more set apart, more holy. John 4.23, Jesus said this, but the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers, what that means is there are also fake ones when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father is seeking such people to worship him the father is looking for real worship worshipers some of you have experienced deep true worship and and somehow think oh worship um, is boring and i just like some of you have said this like the singing and the worship time is boring to me. I just like it when Pastor Nathan or Pastor Paul or Pastor John get up there and preach because that's, that's worship. Here's why you like that. is because all three of us worship. It costs us something. We put some oomph into it. You, know, you hear what I'm saying? It costs us. We prepare. Some of you are incredible worships. You worshipers, you get it. When we praise God, it's big and joyful and uninhibited. It's why we like to do jamming songs. When we're doing the praise part, we like it big. And it gets bigger. We show the greatness of God, what He's done. The Bible says that all creation praises Him. The very stones would cry out if we didn't. They tell us of His greatness, but the Bible talks about worship the tone changes it talks about when it moves from prayer uh, praise to worship it says this worship the lord in the splendor of what his holiness his separateness tremble before him all the earth in other words 
It's saying, look, it should be a, a, an awe-inspiring thing. Scary? Yes. Yes. Or like this. How about Psalm 95.6? Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our makers. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I love you. But let me just ask, let me just ask something. Talking to real Christians, when was the last time your knee was bent in worship? Just tell me. Like, like today? Some of you can't think of a time, can you? You're going, well, worship just hidden, just bending down. I go, well, I, 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 beg, I beg to differ. And I ask because it's the, through true worship. I want you to hear me. It's because I love you. True worship. The Holy Spirit begins to speak to us, wake us up to correct our false thinking, to convict us of sin we may not even know is in our lives. Hear me. It's through true worship that we invite the Holy Spirit in us to start to change our priorities to make sure they are in line with God. And you go, well, I can worship on my own. Yes, and you should. But it is the culmination each week of us coming together as the body of Christ, worshiping together. Do you see the difference? We are to worship together in church. The preaching, the giving, the singing, the lifting of hands on your knees. And listen, worship is a lifestyle. You can be in your car alone. Uh, but it is together. I hate the clock because I want to keep going with my brothers and sisters in worship. But let me give you a little warning. You can go through all of the outward signs of kneeling down and raising your voice, even singing, closing your eyes and looking intent and fake it. But baby, you cannot fake it. And expect the Holy Spirit to come and do the work that He needs to do. It takes pouring out your heart, giving your life to Him once again. Back to Revelation 5. We're going to wrap up here. Verse 13, John says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne, that's God, and to the Lamb, that's Jesus, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Worship is giving back to God through singing, through physical actions, through playing instruments, through dance, through shouting, through simply kneeling down. And, 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 and get this, the show isn't for us. It, it's for God. Sometimes, I don't know about you, I get self-conscious because like I always sit on the front row, we call it kind of pastor row, you know, and I know people are watching, I'm like trying to worship, and then I'm like going, raise my hand and I think I wonder if people are people are watching and then I, it's all about me right I'm like the, do, is it the Holy Spirit makes no 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 it is me choosing to lift up my hands as an act of surrender as an act of worship it is me choosing to open my mouth to sing it is me choosing to open my wallet to worship the king. It is me doing all these things, even kneeling down. Now, some people are like, I just don't want to be extravagant. Well, it's all about you, isn't it? You, you hear me? Like, you're like going, well, I don't want to draw attention. That's not it. It's drawing attention to God. You see what I'm saying? Like, hear me, I, I, I love you, I love you, but some of you have never experienced the deep richness of God and, and all of His mercy and grace because you've never worshipped. You hear me? Check this out. Look what the four living creatures do in verse 14. And the four living creatures said, Amen! And the elders fell down and worshipped. I, I had someone... The other day, he's just going, going Paul, you ask, to ask us to say amen. Why is that? It's like putting a, 
It's like putting a mirror behind a candle. It doubles the light. Here's what I mean. When someone says amen, which means so be it, it doubles the worship. Here's what I mean. Someone says, God is great, and you say, it just happened twice. Do you see how that worked? That's what worship is. They say, amen, amen. Let me close with just a few scriptures here. We're going to hit them fast. Here's your job in this. I'm going to read it. In each of these, share a three-word phrase that I want you to pick up on. You won't get it on the first one. You'll get it on the second one. But then I want it to grow like a wildfire because it's what we are kicking off now. These future weeks are all about this. Are you ready? You ready? Here we go. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. I will sing a new song to you, O God, upon a ten-stringed harp. I will play to you. Say it aloud. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Sing to the Lord His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. What I want you to see, see here is new song relates to this moment in time. Those were all Old Testament looking forward to this time when Jesus would take the scroll. Do you understand what's happening? The new song is the one who was slain has been brought back to life by God Himself. It has given Him the right to take the deed of the earth. No longer, no longer will the earth be the place where the battle is fought. It will be the abode of Jesus Himself and the saints. Do you understand? What we were saying in the Old Testament is that this moment when He took that scroll, He became the Redeemer of the earth. Let's pray.